Welcome to Shame of Thrones, a Game of Thrones hate watch rewatch podcast. This will contain a lot of spoilers for both the books and the show. And that, I mean, that that seems obvious, right? Like you're not you're not surprised. But I did warn you. I I super I yeah I warned them. So it'll be their fault. Yep. I don't I don't think that they can be mad at us. I I said. You know, I will say, so last night we rewatched the first two episodes of uh, Game of Thrones, and I will say that the, the intro holds up. I was excited, I was excited when I saw the intro. Very good. Are we not starting over? Are we trying to just make this work? I'm I'm powering through. Oh, really? Okay. Because I dirt 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 through most of it. Kind of liked it. Hello, haters. Welcome to this bullshit. We're rewatching the Game of Thrones so you don't have to, because it's absolute shit. Welcome, fuckers. <laughs> I don't think this is it either. It's very aggressive. All right, you introduce the show. I don't know. I've never done a podcast before. All right, before. all right, all right, all right. Just stop giving me notes then. I know how it's done. Okay. Hello, welcome to Get Shame of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great. Welcome to Shame of Thrones. It normally takes you nine <laughs> or ten tries to, like, just mount into the podcast, right? Yep. A, ge- a Game of Thrones hate watch rewatch podcast. We are rewatching Game of Thrones so that you don't have to because it's absolute shit. But if you, like us, have not let the hatred boil out of your blood for how it all went down and you really need someone to talk to about it, but your friends are sick of you, then you can listen to us talk to each other about it. Can I have a go? Yeah. Hello and welcome to Shame of Thrones, a Game of Thrones rewatch, hate watch podcast. Are you the kind of person who, if you have like a sore, you just can't stop picking at it? Or if you have a loose tooth, you kind of poke it until it comes out? Well, this is the podcast for you. We are going to be painfully revisiting the best, worst, most beloved, most hated franchise of my life, Game of Thrones. And... Last night, we watched two episodes, the first two episodes, in fact, it seemed like a good place to start, of the show. And frankly, it took us some effort to press play. We're, we're ready to break our hearts over again, I guess. But we know what's coming, so maybe it won't be as bad. Uh, or it will be worse. If you are wondering why we are qualified to criticize Game of Thrones, do we have... Uh, film degrees, have we worked in the industry, anything like that. Uh, Well, we have never done anything like this before. We are wildly out of our depths, and that makes us just as qualified to criticize the show as Beanie Off and Weiss were to create it. So, oh, I, I mean, this was up until the final season. This was something they very frequently and proudly noted. That they were they were amateurs, they were novices, they had no experience, they were just 
wunderkins who stumbled in and managed to make this magic out of nothing but their intelligence, grit, a pre-written excellent plot that had already been published and was hugely successful, and tens of millions of dollars dedicated to the best costuming props set department that the small screen has probably ever seen, and some absolutely incredible talent that they didn't personally cast. But! But! It was mostly, I believe, their grit. Ah, and their... Giant dicks. Giant dicks. They have stopped making this boast since the final season. Yes, and I... Indeed, they are rarely seen in public. Yeah, they they don't go anywhere. They don't do... I mean, they are contractually obliged to do something for, I believe, Netflix at this point. Uh, and if you are a fan of the three-body problem, they may soon be ruining one of uh, your favorite books. And if you're a fan of the entire three-body problem trilogy, yeah, think about your life. Think about your choices. At least they didn't get to make their If the South Had Won the War. I think that they would have handled the equity issues with slavery going on in the 21st century with grace and nuance and a plum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like that Dothraki wedding scene. Oh, God. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll get to that because it's coming right up. So let's dive in. Uh, we open on three men of the Night's Watch heading out beyond the wall. And this is a, a genuinely terrifying scene where we see a younger man. We see it through his eyes and he uh, sees bodies arranged in a pattern because the White Walkers like to arrange bodies uh, in patterns. And as you know, that was that was my first big um, what the fuck, because I, I feel like a lot of people have observed that the uh, the White Walkers arranging corpses in kind of runic patterns never fucking comes to anything. That's just their idea of landscape architecture, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. That is not... not well, a, that's just like how they like to murder people. But that's not a novel observation. Decoratively. Yeah, not a novel observation. The White Walkers love to arrange bodies scenically for, I guess, their own pleasure. However, uh, what that first scene made very clear that I had forgotten uh, was that these corpses were not intact. You had very, like, very specifically, visibly, in frame... You had like a couple of leg bones, like just a couple of. Oh yeah, they were absolutely cut. Placed in next pieces. to each other, right? So we also see several seasons later, <laughs> if white walkers are, sorry, if whites are dissembled, their pieces keep moving, but they, they can't float or fly. If a hand gets chopped off, the hand crawls along the ground using its fingers. But when the, when the men of the Night's Watch come back to see the the feng shui of the landscape architecture corpse pile, everything's gone, including just, like, independent tibia? Well, not everything, because, um... So oh, right, there's you, some organs. There's some organs on the, the... The guy kind of picks up, and I thought it was a scarf. Literally the first several times I watched it, um, and I was like, oh, I think that might just be a handful of organs. Yeah, so, sure... But again, a leg bone just did a little tap dance. I'm imagining like um, 
the magician's apprentice uh, from with Mickey Mouse, just like and all these bones oh, just yeah, yeah. rising <laughs> up and walking away. All the all the splinters. Because we this you know when we first see it, it's a mystery. We don't know what happened to these bodies. It's fascinating. There's never any payoff. Like like every good thing from the beginning of the show, there's never any payoff. It never makes any sense that these independent cross slices of body were ever able to clear the scene. We do see an actual uh, White Walker yes. throw a head at our, uh, our everyman, Will, there. And he's only like 10 feet away from him. And he gets away somehow. Yeah, that that is interesting. Maybe that is foreshadowing for how Gendry runs like 200 miles in about an hour later on in season seven. Yeah, like if you're a... Maybe, maybe you're, this is establishing that if you're north of the wall, you zoom like Sonic. And like you're a white boy under a certain age. <laughs> so then we cut to Winterfell uh, and we meet Baby Bran. Little baby Bran, who was so small. Such a jarring juxtaposition between the excellent CGI work on the exteriors of Winterfell. And then slightly later, we see Bran, who's climbed up onto the top of the castle. And it's just so in front of a green screen. Oh, gosh. I'm jumping ahead a bit. That's fine. They didn't necessarily have the budget right away to, like, do their jobs good. So we've got the beheading scene. Eddard Stark grabs his boys uh, and heads out to behead Will. And this this scene, I think, is meant to show us that Eddard Stark is uh, a professional, I guess. My favorite, and this is this is not a serious criticism. This is just the the cynicism that has creeped in from later seasons. But uh, we are we are meant to get the sense that Lord Eddard Stark is honorable and respectful and. You know, he'll he'll do the hard thing, but he is as merciful as he can be about it. He's just as he can be about it. And as his last uh, last request before he's beheaded, Will requests that Lord Stark get word to his family. Oh, and he gives and tell a them no- that he is not a coward. And Eddard Stark doesn't quite nod, but seems to kind of assent. But that's it. There's yeah, no, no there's even... no like return to send. Like, there's no yeah. like forwarding address. There's a get like don't even fucking know his name. Uh, I sent it you to die. Big swing. But he also doesn't like, say no. He's like, mm, I'm, I'm a lord. I'm too busy to that. He just sort of lets it hang in the air there. Like, okay, I think what's but interesting. Then he just does it. And this and this came up later. Um, uh, uh, skipping ahead just a little bit. Like Benjamin Stark shows up. Do you get like wall leave? Uh, I mean. That's canonical in the books. You get wall leave. Yeah, so, like, if you're not one of the rapers, like, comes up also later in uh, episode two, you're just, you get vacation, I guess, to go visit your fam. The Night's Watch is, uh, you know, it doesn't pay well, but it's got great benefits. (sighs) So, they find the direwolves. One thing that struck me that I hadn't quite caught uh, was that one of the first things... Um, that was floated as a reason for the uh, big old deer dying um, was mountain lion. I didn't know they had mountain lions. I guess they have mountain lions. No, they explicitly don't. The next line is, there are no mountain lions in these woods. But they know what a mountain lion is. Sure. 
Anyway, so it's direwolves. And the big direwolf I thought looked really fake, but that's maybe just because they didn't hire a real direwolf that was dead. They didn't murder a real <laughs> direwolf? They didn't murder a real direwolf probs. But one thing we talked about last night when we were watching the episodes, uh, and we, we're trying to keep our in-show talk to a minimum, but we can't because... Sometimes you gotta yell. We're talky people. They could have cut the direwolves entirely for how much they ever mattered in the show. But they didn't know that. Benioff and Weiss didn't realize how much they would lose interest. They kind of forgot. <sighs> That's about, gonna be a segment. They kind of forgot about the dire. Well, so they didn't know... Like, when they came into the material, they knew that Lady didn't matter. And did the show start after book three? Oh, yeah. The okay. show started around the same time as uh, Dance of Dragons. Okay, so so they knew that Grey Wind would not uh, factor in uh, largely to the end of the plot. But they don't know. Uh, I mean, in particular, they did bring back Nymeria in a pretty superficial Toss way. Toss-off scene. Yeah, but... <laughs> They took the care, like, it was just, it was just a, even the good parts of the earlier seasons are stark contrasts with how much <laughs> care was, mm, stark, how much care was taken later. So, you know, they find these five direwolf pups, then they find the runt of the litter, and John Sneer picks up the direwolf puppy that will become Ghost. And they took the care to have this puppy be white with red eyes. Presumably CGI'd. They didn't have the budget to make it look like Bran was really on top of a castle, but they took the care to make sure that Ghost had red eyes from the very beginning. And that is, I mean, that is sort of, I keyed, on a, I keyed in on that as what made people so upset about Game of Thrones because this show trained us from the very beginning that small details matter and there's a lot to pick up on with small details and things will be recurring and uh well we all know how that turned out so with the early viewing seeing this really tight attention to future plot points and characterization and having that seeded in as if it's going to ever matter when we know that it never does. Oh, it hurts. The next thing that happens is we cut to a wide shot of King's Landing, which is certainly jutting into the water. No, surely it's in the middle of a desert. It's gotta be in the middle of a desert, right? I mean, I saw the last couple seasons, King's Landing must be in the middle of a desert. Yep. You're that's... telling me it's somewhere new now? Nope. It's, it does seem to really be uh, jutting out into the sea. Definitely not in the middle of a goddamn desert, uh, as would be shown when Cersei uh, beheads one of the primary people of color. Going back to the whole, like, dedication to detail so when they were making season one they thought it was important to make sure that ghost had red eyes because otherwise viewers might notice and have their suspension of disbelief broken because of the continuity error meanwhile they filmed the exteriors of king's landing in entirely different continents and they're just like uh the only people who care about this are fucking nerds nerd here 
Yep, nailed us. So, um, Jamie and Cersei in King's Landing. One thing that really struck me about this scene where we first meet Jamie and Cersei. Googly eyes. Well, yeah, the googly eyes are super creepy. That's absolutely true. Um, I really That was a rare props failure. Props department, usually on point. Those eyes were painted with like modern acrylics. That was not that was not like dyes. I mean they had white paint. Wait, no no no, sorry. This is a fantasy world, not historical. They have white paint. This is not historical. In this world, they have white paint. Okay. They have acrylics. In universe, I would say to that that your maesters are so worried about whether or not they could. They didn't stop to think about whether they should. Even if they had those paint colors, applying googly eyes to the dead, bad idea. Listen. Makes them very silly. It's It it's, makes them very silly. It's their culture. You want to go after people's culture? Yes, that's clearly what we're doing here. Luckily, it's fictional. <laughs> so, John Aaron is dead. Uh, one thing that really And googly eyed. And googly eyed. One thing that really struck me is that I think that the way that, that it was played between Jamie and Cersei is very much like they feel like they've lucked out. I definitely didn't get the sense from the way that it was acted that they killed John Aaron. They they were nervous, but especially the way that Nikolai Coster Waldo played it out was like, we lucked out. Like uh, he had a specific line. Whatever John Aaron did or didn't know. Died with him. Right, but implication there being, like, they already think that they are able to speak privately. So implication there being, the Marvelous Lannister duo genuinely had no idea. So again, like, some very good foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I think that was very well again, done. Again, training, training the audience that little details matter, and you can and should read into them. So then we come back to Winterfell. We have Bran climbing in front of a green screen. Robert needs a box to get off his horse. And then... Cat! Cat! Robert has a very selective interest in the children's names, but frankly, that seems entirely on point. I Absolutely. I think I would also be insulted if I were Cersei and the first thing that my husband wanted to do, go like, mourn the love he could have had. Yep, that's the whole point of that scene. Yep. So I, I just think that she's justified. And then they go to the crypts, and that reminded me, fuck those fucking crypts. All right, Ansley with a hot anti-crypt take. <laughs> well, so I I had high hopes for how the crypts would come in. I thought that the crypts were going to be a, maybe a key for John learning about R plus L equals J. Yes. Um, Rhaegar's silver harp will be found in Lyanna's crypt. That was going to be, like, I-, I thought that the crypts were going to be hugely meaningful. We have several very meaningful scenes in the crypts uh, in the early seasons. And then, of course, we have the best scene in the crypts uh, where, who knew that there could be dead people down here when the dead start rising? You don't have anything more to say about that? I do not. And then we cut to Tyrion's boy band bleached blonde haircut. Boy Z. Yep. Decade will do a lot. I mean, Peter Dinklage did not change as much as, say, uh, Bran. Isaac Hempstead right. That's right. But, ooh, yeah. The bleach blonde is not great, and uh, that beard is essential. It's... 
it's rough. But, you know, I, I did find myself appreciating, and I'm sure I'll appreciate her more uh, over this rewatch, uh, the character of Roz is original to the show and is essentially our sex position leader. The actor probably has a name. She was in The Magicians. She was great in that. Esme Augusta Bianco. Well, that's a hell of a name. Uh, yep. Hell of a woman, too. Esme, Esme Augusta Bianco. An excellent, uh, I think overall as a character, she does some heavy lifting in terms of being naked. And <laughs> I, I, I think that she does a great job throughout the what show. What we mean to say is she's way more than her tits. And I think that that's true. Which is saying a lot, because great tits. Indeed. Because, like, from from Winterfell, she goes with our main cast to King's Landing to have sex there and be while, sex positioned. While having things explained while to her. While having things explained to her. So, I really appreciate Ross. As two huge talents. Two huge talents. Great at fucking interested ear. Yeah, no, she just she, like a shoulder to lean on. She wants to know what's going on. Like if you've got like some internal conflict or like some scheming that you want to get out, and you're horny. I I think that she is a great original character. <laughs> I'm all for her. The actor does a great job. You got something to say, Dan? You think she's a great original character? This is a a tremendous feat of writing. The best way to get us into this world is to just show us some pert pink nips. It's much harder, I think, to do exposition in television than it is to do it in a book. Okay. So Ansley is on board for exploitative exposition. I don't think that sexposition is a bad idea. Presumably she was willing. The actress or the character? I both. feel like there are weird, troubling consent implications for both the actor and the character. Don't you think they were both on board? Roz was a sex worker? You remember how her story ends, no? Yeah, I don't think she was fine with that. I think that that, I think that her consent went up to a point, but I think she was totally fine with working uh, in Winterfell, and she was totally fine working for Littlefinger, but that could Our sex position scenes with Littlefinger prominently feature him threatening to murder her. Yeah, alright, well we haven't gotten there yet, so maybe we'll cut some of this. <laughs> so. Then, Pentos! Harry Lloyd, brother of mine. Yes, Harry Lloyd does great work on this show. He is underappreciated. Uh, we first became fans of his in the Doctor Who two-parter human nature family of blood. Where he is just so fucking scary. And he is scary in this. Oh, so scary. Really? No criticisms. I, I mean, so Harry Lloyd, I think, this is something that I'm sure we'll talk about that the show takes the exploitation of women and rape further than it needs to go. But there is... There's something really well done in the interactions between Harry Lloyd and Amelia Clark, where a lot of it is left unsaid. There's... You don't want to wake the dragon, do you? Is the closest he comes to... Right. It, outright it's, threatening it's, assault. It is so intense and implied without them needing to make it explicit. They showed and didn't tell... 
Although I guess later they do just show and show and show. Yeah, restraint is not their strong suit. I will say for that early scene, something that struck me, particularly given that as the show grew and evolved, Daenerys became one of my favorite characters and Amelia Clark became one of my favorite actors on the show. She really learned on the job. That oh, yeah. first she scene has a, was she... not convincing. Well... That was like a high school diva. Yeah, I wonder the extent to which that just works for the scene, that she's got a completely blank expression. She is a complete blank canvas. And whether that was a choice or her learning on the job... It, it does, I think, work that she's essentially nothing. She's to be molded. Just going back to Harry Lloyd, uh, I think, but what really struck me was I would let his whole tribe fuck you as he strokes her cheek and kisses her forehead. These nice little gestures with this... I didn't read them as happen. nice gestures. I read them as possessive I mean, gestures. they're absolutely threat. Like, the way he does them, they're threatening. They, they should be nice gestures. Um... So Jason Momoa, did you know that apparently at his audition, he was challenged with the fact that the Dothraki would not speak the common tongue. So they were like, express to us that you are a fierce tribal chief without speaking any words. And he did a haka. Oh, neat. Yeah. And that's how he got the role. Do our listeners know what a haka is? I don't know. Can, can you explain it? Uh, this is your story. It is a, a war dance from the Maori. Maori. Yeah, from the South Pacific. New Zealand. New Zealand specifically, apparently. Uh, yeah, so he, he performed this, uh, like, warrior dance and got that role. Cool. So we cut back. Smash cut. Smash cut to uh, Winterfell. Um, and uh, what I have here uh, written down is just Sansa saying, It's the only thing I ever wanted. Which is just so tragic. It's the only thing I ever wanted. wanted. She just wants to marry Joffrey, and she's just... Speaking of early performances, as a young actor, Sophie Turner fucking nails this petulant, naive, pampered character, which is her job. She is absolutely crushing it. She's giving a phenomenal performance. For an actor of any age, never mind a young actor. And there's so many fucking neckbeards. Are we allowed to say neckbeards? Is that derogatory? You can say neckbeards. So she nails this character. And then it never matters. I'm mad about this for two reasons. It never matters how much the character of Sansa Stark develops and learns. She is judged by so much of the fan base based on these few first scenes in season one where she basically is a good child and does everything that's ever been requested of her. But we prefer the iconoclast tomboy Arya, who in any other context would just be a nuisance or a downright, let's call a spade a spade here, a bully. Arya's a problem child. She's really mean to Sansa. But... Sansa's arc is ignored by a lot of viewers who just want to hate on femininity. But then I spent fucking 10 years defending Sansa Stark as a character only for her to be a, um, a dumb, cold bitch for no reason. 
At least she's powerful. Um, I, I disagree a little bit with that assessment of the end of her arc. That I you do... remember when she antagonized Daenerys constantly for the horrible sin of showing up, being ready to fight, and having a romantic interest in her half-brother? Yeah, okay. So, I, I, I would just also say that... Remember when she was like, hey, John... Don't rush into battle right away. The Knights of the Vale are coming soon. You don't remember that because she didn't say it. She just took John aside and said, I don't know. Just don't do what he wants. And just kind of keeps it a secret that she has a backup army. And later, John is like, why did you fuck me over that hard? And in character, she has no explanation. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't represent women well. I will say... That I do appreciate you recognizing that she is the only real source of young femininity in the show, and she is demonized for it. But then the showrunners validate that. But like, I don't think that I don't think that Germ is a feminist. Like, I don't think that he has a good See, representation. We of can women. never come to any kind of real determination on our great god Germ. Because he's never going to put out the rest of the series. Yeah, and that's and that's Sansa fact. could end up... Right now, if you're just a book reader and you give a fuck about the show, you can argue that Sansa's a great character and that she is smart and is powerful and is competent and is empowered. Because we don't know how it ends. But with Off and Weiss, what we do know is that Sansa starts out a dumb bitch and ends up a dumb bitch. And anything that happens in between, does it matter? If that's our beginning point and end point look i i i would love during the middle stretches of the show sansa was one of my favorite characters i had big hopes i mean we're gonna get into this my yep. big hopes for the north remembers plot line oh my gosh uh but i i still think my favorite scene of the show and this was original the show was in the eerie when she takes control of the entire situation with Littlefinger and puts herself in a position where she can be calling the shots and visually, again, costuming department has never failed us. Props department sweeps down. Sophie Turner is what? Uh, eight foot four? Yeah. Eight something foot like six? That. Yeah. Just sweet with her stunning hair. Volleyball player frame just sweeps down that circular staircase in that sharp angular cutting raven dress after she had just bested like she had just proven to us that she had one-upped Littlefinger yeah the master schemer of Westeros she got one over on him and that was like oh we've got such great things coming from Sansa nope yeah. um <clears throat> so she sews good so then Uncle Benjamin shows up and they get wall leave and then one thing I wrote in my notes, but actually I, I just hadn't thought about this series in a while, was Jamie goes up to Ned Stark and is just a real dick to Ned Stark right off the bat. And I was like, why is Jamie being such a dick to Ned? And I was like, oh, right, because of their whole history. And this speaks to another thing that we talked about last night is just that the show originally gave their viewers so much credit for being able to roll with the punches of these dynamics between characters like and to put Ned, things together ned and jamie have known each other for what like 15 years at this point ned was first into the throne room after jamie has killed 
I Eric. believe that's in the show as well. Uh, but we haven't seen that yet right. in, in the show. So, like, yeah, they, there's no there's no love between these two men who are about to become co-workers, essentially. They'd both be on the small council. Well, no, actually not. No, at this point, Jamie is not Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. He is oh. just a member of the Kingsguard. Oh, oh we haven't met um, Barristan Stalin? So... Bar- Barristan. Bob, Bob and her salamander. Bob, Bob, Bob and her salamander. What is his name? Barristan Selmy. Barristan Selmy. Would still be commander of, of the Kingsguard. They don't like each other. Then we see Arya throw, I don't know, what looks like shit, but is probably like some kind of food at it, Sansa. It looks like maybe like a plum? I don't like know. a peeled pitted plum? Like she's kind of a bitch. Like, and what was Sansa doing to her at that? Like, Arya's a bully. Yeah, she's really not nice. Sansa wasn't doing anything to Arya. So then we've got Cat and Ned and the letter. Um, so the letter comes from... A rider in the night. A rider in the night. The first of many riders the, in the, the night. The first of many riders in the night. Rider in the night is basically, we just got this from the writer's room. And Maester Lewin is like, knock, knock, knock on the door. Can I come in? And they're like, we're not going to stop snuggling. And in the books, she's naked and does not get dressed. And she's naked in this whole scene with Maester Lewin. She's like, Maester Lewin. He's delivered all five of my children. Yeah, what no, have no, I got no. to hide? Like, she just walks around, whatever. But, like, that was weird to me in the show. It's weird to me in the books. They're like, oh, you don't even, you don't even get up when... Okay, not important. But he comes with the letter. She reads it and immediately throws it into the fire. Who knows what that letter said? So she reads the letter and throws it in the fire. And this is, again, something that that really pulls you in. Like, oh, there's this intrigue and her sister at great personal risk has seen fit to warn her. And then later the payoff to this mystery is that her sister's insane. It is still a risk for her to have written it. Yes. She killed her husband. And then wrote her sister saying the Lannisters did it. But like, like this is what we got to talk about at the beginning. This is what we got to talk about the early days. Like where, where it hooks you, where it sets these elements of interest that just don't pay off. So we will, I'm sure, circle back around to the specifics and how it doesn't pay off. But the letter was a lie. And the closest we get to why it would have been written is she was doing little fingers bidding and Littlefinger just loves chaos. And that's fucking nothing. That's not a plot. That's not a villain. Like, I, I want to be wacky is is nothing. Like, it might turn out that Great God Gurm doesn't know why either. I, it turns out that Great God Gurm doesn't know a lot. He doesn't know how to finish a fucking book. That's, that's for goddamn sure. That's for goddamn sure. Alright, so the next thing what happened was Dothraki racist wedding. Our first black people. First black people. They're naked twerking slaves. <sighs> and their tits are out. It's really Yeah, I guess they're not naked, just their tits are out. Just their tits are out. So this is a good look for a show in I guess. So we started watching this show in 2011, I think shortly after it came out. I think the first season came out in 2010 or 2011. What the case was, 
was every major character is white, and the only black people that you get are twerking and murdering and indiscriminately fucking at a wedding. I don't think any of the murderers were black. They were all vaguely olive-skinned. Uh, sure. The only definitely black people we saw were I'm not sure we really. I'm not sure we really need to mince. There are lily white people, and there are people that aren't lily white, and the people who aren't lily oh, white. Oh, I mean, there's definitely white and other. And the others are the Dothraki savages, and the people being and the people being raped at a party. Well, okay, you have to understand. Look, it's this historical. Is, right. There were historically no black people in Europe in the 14th century when this really happened. <laughs> I sort of mean historically, historically. Like the story we tell about our history says that there were no black people in Europe because we don't like to think about them. Historically, there were plenty of black people in Europe throughout the medieval era. Oh, yeah. So wouldn't it be better to not think about them and write them out of history to the point where you can defend a fantasy franchise for casting only white people by invoking historical accuracy? You know what? You know, like the, the moment where, ah, this is very not good, was when Khal Drogo like cuts his way through the crowd and Daenerys follows him and the crowd parts and she is basically reflective in comparison to the people around her. Because they're not only brown, but dirty. And and she's so white. And then he puts her on a white horse. She's a white girl. She gets a white horse. And we know she's good and deserving and the mother because she's so white on a white horse. My, my favorite defense of an all-white Westeros that I have seen so far is that, uh, this is on Reddit, of course, um, that cesspool I just can't seem to quit. It makes total sense that Westeros is all white because in a setting like this with such uh, limited means of transportation, most people will never travel, so you wouldn't get uh, significant waves of immigration that would change the demographics from all white. Uh, and this was on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit where presumably everyone has read the mythology, the mythology of this setting in which, um, in which everybody's from Essos. The Starks and the First Men, A, immigrated from Essos a long ass time ago. The Andals, which most of our characters are Andals. All of the Lannisters all of the Aarons, the Tullys, they're all Andals. They emigrated from Essos. There is a geographic place in Essos called the Andal Hills, where the Andals came from. Then the Roinar came over, and, uh, hey, the Targaryens. No one here is native. So then we get to Essos, where all of the Westerosi people are from at some point back in their history. But, you know, in this setting, people don't move that much. So it makes total sense that they'd be monoracial. So we have concerns. 
I do think that we need to um, take some consideration for time period. You know, and this wasn't period, the modern you mean, day. Benioff and Weiss. Period, you mean 2011. Benioff and Weiss were writing this in like 2010, 2011. And we just, as a society, we didn't know about black people back then. Yeah, I mean... They hadn't been invented yet. No. That's... It wouldn't be fair. We didn't... I mean, we broadly didn't know about demographic change or admixture at all. I mean, we were basically still, like, painting on cave walls. You know, as we It was a different time. They were raised under different values. And those values were everything... Everyone who's important is white. As we're recording this, I'm very excited to watch Bridgerton Season 2, a show in which Shonda Rhimes went, fuck you, history, and was like, there are black people, and they can fuck. Again, it's not fuck you, history. Like, there were black people. We didn't just invent them in the 90s. And there were black people in England and in America. So this whole, like, oh, this fantasy setting... To be more accurate, it has to be even more racist than our real, actual history, which is kind of, I hope you'd agree, racist enough. I think we I don't got- think anyone would look at our history and be like, but what if we dialed up the racism 50%? <sighs> then what had happened was, uh, we meet Jor Marmot, and he says that he has... Uh, dragon eggs from a shy, a place that never turns out to matter. Uh, counterpoint. Die. He has songs and poems of the Seven Kingdoms. Well, fuck me. Those never come up again, right? Why does he get favor for giving her a bad book? Because uh, he's the only other white person. Bingo, bingo. Canonically, she's fascinated with him because he's from Westeros. Mm. Her country. I did think it was interesting when Jor Mormont told brother of mine. <laughs> you can't keep saying brother of mine. That's not. That is again from the Doctor Who doubleheader Human Nature Family of Blood. Very good. Recommend. You could watch that standalone. You don't need to be a big Doctor Who fan. Believe it's on Netflix. Why am I plugging? We should get a cut. He told brother of mine that. Um, <laughs> you gotta stop calling him brother of mine. <laughs> that he was exiled for slavery and Harry Lloyd, uh, Viserys, told him that that would be, like, fine. You would never his, be punished yeah. for such foolishness. Under like my that. rule. Um, very, very good indications. Okay, fine. So it was Illyrium Apatis' dragon egg gift from a shy. A place that never matters. That was the point, not... But you're right, I'll I'll get doxxed for <laughs> having the, the We can't be for... Okay, here's the thing. We can't be pedantic haters. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And get our facts wrong. You're absolutely right. I completely agree. Our whole deal here is being wildly irritating. Okay, my nitpicking asshole. My point was a shy and not you can't who gave her the dragon eggs. And get them wrong. You're absolutely right, but my point was a shy and not who gave her the dragon eggs. I'm excited to get a lot of hate mail about everything I've gotten wrong so far. Oh yeah, it's after be... I have nitpicked you. Hey, I'm excited to get that hate mail because that means somebody's listening. Yeah, and my mom doesn't know how to work email, so No. And your mom wouldn't give a shit about this podcast. <laughs>
Neither Romano will listen to this. Okay, right after the wedding, we have Daenerys' wedding night rape scene. No. Oh? No. Oh. No. I see what you're doing here. No. Yeah. Uh, no. So, what I want to say about this scene is I wouldn't want to have sex on those craggy rocks either. Even doggy style? Uh, she can be on her knees? Like, those are craggy. Those look like, like volcanic rocks. I feel like that would be more painful on the knees for Cal Drogo. She can support half her weight on her hands. I just want to say it looked really uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons was because it was craggy rocks. You want to cut that again without burping partway through? Nope. We are moving on. We are near the end of this particular episode and we cut to Bran climbing the tower and the dog is like no don't go up there that two or three month old puppy people are fucking up there but he goes anyway um and so he gets to the top and we all know what happens he sees Jamie and Cersei doing some banging so we know that like like Cersei's got just, you know, just the sex engineering of this scene. Cersei's got her skirts pulled up. Like, we see Lena Headey or some body doubles. Most of her butt. Big, beautiful butt. Yeah. So, Cersei's got her dress pulled up over her butt. Which, in my limited experience, is a way that women have sex sometimes. I've heard of it. Jamie... <laughs> is fully wearing his fucking pants. Just snug around the waistband. Well, and I want to I want to point is out definitely 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 fucking through his fly. Well, one thing that is probably different which is the worst thing about him. Like you no, don't need to wait, know that he uh, pushed a kid uh, out of a tower. You just need to know that he fucks through his fly. I want to make it very clear that probably he doesn't have a zipper. Right, it's probably... No, he definitely doesn't have a zipper. Yeah. So it's like strings. Or like buttons. Do they have buttons? Yeah, I think they've got buttons. Uh, Okay, so this is a string fly or a button fly. We've established that, right? Because his pants are... Isn't the problem with putting your dick through your fly that you're going to have like zipper teeth? That, I mean, that is one potential hazard for sure. Isn't that the big problem? My pajamas don't have zipper flies. Would you think it was normal and fine if I just whipped it out through my pajama fly and was like, let's get busy? Do you not pee through your pajama fly? Yeah, that's a little different than fucking. Why? Juices? Okay, all right. No, wait. All right. This is upsetting. Yes! He's fucking through his fly. But, like, he's used to it because he fucks. He's also fucking his sister. Wait, 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 what? (laughs) Wait, wait a minute. (laughs) Hang on a second. So we have identified at least three things a little off about Jamie Lannister in this scene. (laughs) We actually had to rewatch the scene, like, twice to see if. If it was possible 
that there was an opportunity for him to put his dick away before he ran over to Bran at the window. There is and, not. No, I, I think I think there is like a again no zipper. There's like a you quick, think he buttoned that shit up or like stringed together something? No, I, I just think he shoved. Like it's not it's not a close. It's like shoving your dick into a pocket. He's just like he shoved it back in. When have you ever shoved your dick into a pocket? What are you talking about? I've never had one. So I don't you know. think you can just put it in your pocket? I, I kind of think you can just shove it down a leg, right? Isn't that a whole thing? They go. They go up. You can maybe put it to the side or straight well, maybe up. Maybe put it in his waistband. He doesn't have, with elastic. Anyway, he runs over. So he runs over to Brand with his dick out. <laughs> is what fucking happens. He runs, over, he runs to over to Brand with his dick out. And if he tried to put his dick away, he runs over to Brand with his dick hand and then puts his dick hands on Brand. To grab Bran. His, his, like, they're not using a condom. His wet, juicy dick hand. And then he shoves Bran out a window. So four. We've identified four fucked up things about Jamie Lannister in this scene. We do know he's a good listener. Cersei's like, he saw us. And he, he leaps into action. And she's like, he saw us. And she's like, I heard you the first time. So, you know, good listener. Yeah. Good reflexes. I guess a easily portable dick. <laughs> I don't know where I go from here. How do we get back from this? Well, that's the end of episode one. Shame of Thrones is a labor of love. And by love, we mean... <sighs> we have a lot to process. We're... Ugh. We're doing it for you, person who is also not quite over it. So subscribe, and we'll all get through this together. Probably, 